Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, October 11th. It's time for another episode of the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, then we'll get to your calls and questions. Calls are already starting to come in, so dial us up right now if you have a maintenance-related question Anything goes. The number to join us, 855-950-3835. We're going to jump in and get started. Bruce, you're first up on the board. Welcome back. Who's first up? You are. Good morning. Hey. Good morning, Kevin. Some more interesting things going on. What's on your mind today? Manufacturing marbles. They do a two-minute segment on businesses, and they're on Fox Business News. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They want to come in and watch us do a segment on us building a diesel engine. Oh, that would be very cool. I love that show. And I do, too. I watch the... I watch it all the time, and I just watch several of their little two-minute segments. So um, they've, we've been playing telephone tag this morning, and I just talked to them, so I'm going to call them right after the radio show and see what we have to do for this. Yeah, that'd be fun. That's one thing. Did you get any pictures that I've sent you today on that Mac exhaust system and the compressor housing on the turbo? I don't think so. How did? Oh, yeah, I did. Hold on. They're right here. Send them to your phone. Yeah. Yeah, I've got them. Um, Holy cow. What a mess. You see the the short, tight Y? Holy cow, yeah. That that comes out of that little muffler that goes, then it has to find its way to the two stacks. What a mess. You see how that... You see how that little muffler hangs outside the frame rail? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty ugly. That's what I was talking about last week. Yeah. Yeah. This week. So maybe you could post those. Yeah, I'll get those up. We'll do. This is what. This is how you don't want to build an exhaust system. Yeah. Exactly. You can tell the guy that worked for Mac that did that was never in the performance on anything. <laughs> see, the com- <laughs> see the compressor housing where the wheels started to touch that housing? I do see that, yeah. That's why it's at least once or twice a year you should take your compressor housing off just to clean that, clean the compressor wheel and clean the backing plate behind the compressor wheel and then you get to see because this turbo is going to be short-lived. Yeah, got it. Because it's starting to get too much end play. The thrust washer inside the turbocharger is wearing out. Got it. Good stuff. Okay, and if anyone's interested, there's a pair of 389 Pete's with the 70-inch sleeper coming to across the street. We have Jazz, J-A-S-E, Truck Center, 
along with long haul detailing in the building where we also have the OPS manufacturing and the DPF alternatives washing. So we're actually in that building. There's four different operations going on. But uh, these two beats have right around 450,000 miles on the next 15 to 18 speeds. Now, here's the negative. They were used to haul fracking sand around western Pennsylvania. So they have 24-5 tall rubber with 370 gears. So it's equivalent to a 336. Basically, uh, if you buy this truck, 18 speeds, by the way, um, if you would buy one of them and you wanted to put the Low Pro 22.5 on, you'd have to put the 308s in it or 325s, depending on where you're going to run. And my understanding is you're very clean, very nice trucks. And then anybody that's interested in a 3406C with a B pump on it, 63-inch flat top, 1996 379 Pete factory crate engine. I forget, it has like 20,000 miles on it. The truck is from Virginia. And it's a dark red with gold stripes. Some unique iron coming in across the street from us. Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, the one thing that gets me when I see trucks still um, truck prices, used truck prices are just insane. Still, I can't believe how much these trucks are selling for. It is amazing. I've heard some prices of two twenty five to two fifty on brand new trucks. Yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah. That that's what's happening. I, I it's it's mm -hmm. just insane and the used trucks are there there's just no way I would pay that much for some of these trucks. People are gonna be in trouble. People buying trucks right now are going to struggle. Mm -hmm. And gearing. Oh my gosh. I talk to probably two or three people every day about re-gearing their truck. So I think maybe if I was younger, I'd be building differentials and transmissions because uh, yeah, probably yeah. If if out of business, if somebody out there had a good system and you know was collecting up used parts and you know doing this at the best price possible, I think there'd be a lot of work. And you know, I've gone back mm -hmm. and forth on this. When it comes to just straight fuel economy, regearing should be one of your last choices. There's so many other things you can do with that money first, but eventually it does make sense. And some trucks are geared so bad. You may have to do it sooner, but the cost of it has just become so outrageous. The other issue we're finding now, though, is when you have them spec wrong, it's hard on the emissions, and it generates a lot of emission yeah. problems. So now there's that other issue. Okay, I may not get all my money back right away in fuel economy, but if I can stop some of these emission problems. I, uh, I do not like to drive something... That's not gear geared oh, properly no. for right. how I want to drive. Yeah, and uh, it's very annoying. And if you're going to sit behind that wheel for ten, twelve, fourteen hours a day, you have to enjoy 
the vehicle, you have to enjoy how it runs, and you have to enjoy how it's geared because if the engine's constantly screaming or constantly lugging at the speed, at your chosen speed, then it's not good. I agree. I agree. So, Spec it right. I personally would spend the money to to make it satisfy me so that I could be happy behind the wheel. Yeah. What we have to do, though, is get people to start specking them right the first time so we don't have to go back and spend all that money. And I get it. It's hard to find truck specked right on the used market. But what else you got, Bruce? Oh, that's that's about it for now. I mean, I could go on with all kind of little things that uh, that, that has been happening. But uh, all right, I guess we'll uh, we will hear from Pete. Who else we got here today, Pete? Hi, Kevin. How are you? Good. Good. Leroy's here with me as well. Got it. All right. What's on your mind this are we week? So a couple things. One, next week, Bill and I are going to the NASDAQ Chuck Truck Conference. Are you familiar with them? I am familiar with NASDAQ. I talked with um, with them a couple of years ago. Great organization. We've been promoting them for years for their – if somebody's going to go get their own authority, you should be a member of NASDAQ. I mean, that's really what they do. They help small carriers – with their authority. They have drug testing programs and uh, their fuel card is one of the best I've ever seen. Um, so I've never been to any of their conferences though. So they're having one next week in Nashville at the Omni. And so Bill and I are going to go and see what it's about. It's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Yeah, that's a good group. So yeah. I was wondering if you were a member, being you had a small fleet yourself. No, I, if I would have known about them, um, I would assume they were around back then. If I would have known about them, I, I would have joined. 89, they were founded, 1989. Oh, yeah. They, they, were, they were very new when, when I had my authority, but uh, they were around. I just didn't know about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we found out from, I think, one of our customers that are a member. So if any of our customers our members and are going, let uh, Bill or myself know because we're going to be there. Good, good. So we that going on. And then one of our customers brought in a engine for us to go through one of our um, catalyst dealers and, and remote tuners, Turnaround Express, and brought us an E-model cat that was in a flood in St. Louis. So apparently the driver parked the truck went home for the, his break, came back, you know, three, four in the morning, jumped in the truck, went to fired up hydraulic lock. Well, by this time the water had gone down and no oh. idea there was a flood. So when they, you know, daylight came, they started checking things out. The fuel tanks were full of water. Um, the engine has water in it. And of course it's locked up. Oof. Yeah. And, and who would, think that there'd be no, again, it's three, four in the morning. You're not looking right. for signs of a right. flooded. It wasn't like it was Florida. So we got, uh, getting it apart. We found a, a cracked liner so far. We just dropped it off yesterday. So and tear it apart and do an out of frame on it and get it back up and running for them. Ooh. A, unusual problem. Ooh. Yeah. Oh boy. I think I'd, I'd uh, get insurance to total that thing. Wow, man, that's scary. Thinking, you know, 
the mechanical stuff you can fix. I worry about all the electronics. Inside the cab, yeah. And I, I been surprised at when he jumped in, everything inside the cab wasn't wet. Apparently right. It wasn't. Yeah. That's uh, something is great. And also, it's a little bit older um, compared to something newer that would have after treatment that he had to deal with, which would be at water level. Right. I'm sure that would have all been had it had um, the DPFs and SCRs in it, one box or whatever. So how many so, miles are on this truck? I don't know. I mean, it's got to be up there. It's an E-model. Yeah. So it's got some age. I think it's a yeah, G7. They do body off the frame restorations on their 379s. They love 379s. So I actually talked them into keeping the truck. Huh. Okay. Oof. When they're finished with them, they're beautiful. I'll bet. I'll bet. We have a lot of, a lot of customers doing that now with A models and 379s. Yeah, I could see that. I just I worry about a vehicle that's been flooded. I just don't know that you'll ever get that thing right. That would worry me. Oh, we'll be able to find out soon enough. Yeah. Unfortunately, they got you know, the engine-wise, um, it, it, even though there was water in it, they caught it quick enough and got everything drained that I'm not seeing. You know, we see engines that are rusty. Right. You know, that's that sad. Right. Yeah. Or they had... Um, a cracked head, they were dumping water in instead of antifreeze, and everything was rusted. And this, I mean, doesn't look like yeah. anything major. Um, you're crazy not to go through it, but that ain't damage that we can't uh, straighten. Right. 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 All right. What else you got? Um, so that's pretty much it for me. All right. Uh, Pete, did you see that? Um I know you and I always talk about the supply chain and things certainly aren't getting any better. The uh, railroad union rejected that deal. I did not see that. Yeah. No. Yep. The railroad union rejected that deal. I think they've set another deadline of like November 19th for something, but they're back to negotiating again. Yeah, they're going on strike. Uh, they almost went on strike a couple weeks ago, and then the government actually stepped in and stopped them from going on strike and got involved, and now the government's part of the negotiations, but the union rejected the latest deal. So, they're yeah, they're going to go on strike if they don't get the deal they want. This, this government would not know how to negotiate with a union. No. No, although this government loves unions, but... Um, I don't know what's going to happen with this deal or why the government's involved at all, but they are. So uh, now we've got another deadline and we'll just have to wait and see. I can't imagine what a major rail strike would do to our supply chain right now. In winter, when they haul a lot of um, coal, yeah. the one like the local it's, it's you know, train after train of nothing but coal for the power plants. Yeah. That's going to be a problem. Yeah, heating imagine oil. they have much yeah you know at these plants what are they striking for do you know uh just their their overall contract you know they every time they renegotiate a contract it's wages vacation benefits they're just not happy with their deal i mean is there anything crazy they're asking for uh i I don't think it's anything crazy it's you know certain percentages over what's already there in the the you know the railroad saying no a few years back, some um, 
the local school district here, one of the guys here, his kids go to school there. The teachers were striking because they didn't want to have to pay like twelve dollars a month in insurance, health that, insurance. That's that's the kind of if stuff that this ends up right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's typically what happens. They come down to one screwy detail on a contract, and then this is what we're dealing with. And besides, you know, not paying for their health insurance, they work 185 days a year. I don't know what, why you yeah. think that you get free health insurance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really a pet yeah. All right. Hey, those railroad employees make a lot of money, too. Oh, yeah, they do. They, no those doubt. guys, yeah, they're, they're, they're very well paid. No doubt. And, um, I'm I'm getting ready to take a train ride, actually, on Amtrak. I'm going to Memphis and Nashville to do a, a speaking engagement, and I'm taking the train because it gives me a break, and I actually get to see things, and um, I really enjoy it. I get a room. Uh, it's outrageously expensive, and Amtrak sucks. I, it's our only option. I, I can't believe that's the best we can do for for rail service here in this country. And that's basically a pseudo-government operation. The government basically runs Amtrak, and it's a mess. It's a disaster. It, it should be, for what I'm paying, it should be five times better. The quality of everything is awful in that system. It's a wonder it's still around. But... Um, that's typical government. So we should probably... Why are you not flying? Uh, one, I hate flying, and I really enjoy the train. gives me almost three days to get there and just kind of relax and work on my presentation and just chill for a bit. I really enjoy it. It's a nice ride. It could be better. could be far better if the train was, you know, reasonably new and clean and the food was decent. It's not. The trains are old. They don't keep them up very well. Food sucks. But the ride itself is just really nice. I enjoy it. Okay. All right. We you should probably... Like Matt, get a driver for your motorhome and then you can relax in it. I, I've, I've actually thought about that. I know. The motorhome's in, in the shop, though, getting a major overhaul. It's going to be down there for a couple months. We're getting everything done on it. Yeah, redoing the whole interior and going through the whole coach to try to find every possible rubbing hose and line so I don't have to deal with leaks anymore. So it'll be a while. We'll get it back in time. Uh, we'll probably take off right after the holidays for the rest of the winter. And then we'll probably stay on the road. We'll probably take off in January sometime. We'll stay on the road till after Louisville. I think that's our plan this year. All right. Can we save a spot for you here? Yeah, there you Kevin? go. Yeah. Um, you could you can save me a spot outside this time. I don't want a spot inside. Yeah, and Leroy can program outside as well, so yeah. it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. might, so to make they, sure that Rock's not there, because he might get into it. Yeah. I'll, I, I'll make sure I, I put a sign out. It's like, come meet Kevin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Speaking of Leroy, what's on your mind this week? Um, I've been busy under the hood of a truck all week. I had an issue where we put a new engine harness on a truck. And it had an issue with the harness at the connector for the ECM. 
uh, right from brand new. The blocking tab that holds the pin in the connector was bent over, so it never actually locked. So when you pulled the connector out and you looked down inside of it, the pin was there, but then when you would push it onto the ECM, it would push the pin out and not make any connection. Oh. So you trace that down, and because when you do a continuity test, you take the connector off and you shove a pin inside of it, you measure with your meter from one end to the other, it looks like it works, but... Whatever it was when I put it on the ECM, it wasn't there. And I finally just grabbed a hold of the wire and it pulled right out. <laughs> I didn't have to use the extraction tool. So I follow that. And it's, it's one of those things you never think. Exactly. You never want to assume right. that parts are bad right from brand new. But it actually had two pins that were that way. Oh, yeah, and, that's uh, bad. Yeah, and the, the pin that was, wasn't making contact was the one that wouldn't let me get to start. So, we're just an all-around bad couple of days. Yeah, sounds like it. Now. Sounds like it. On the next one. What else you got? Uh, that's all I had. Like I said, I've been I've been busy under the hood all week, so I haven't had time to think about a whole lot. So you were actually working. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, I know. Sheesh. All right, we should <laughs> probably. Yeah, we should probably take some calls. They're starting to pile up. Let's get started in Texas today. Lonnie, welcome to the program. Hello, guys. How you doing this morning? Y'all hear me? Yep. Go ahead. What's on your mind today? Um, I was going to about my truck. I have a, a second truck I recently bought. It's a uh, 99 FLD N14, N14 Select. And I'm trying Are you sure it's not a select plus? I take it back. You're correct. You're correct. It's a okay. I'm still I'm I'm still a newbie when it comes to the old school engine or older engine. Um, Is it a 2025 CPL by any chance? You know that is. Where would I find that information on it on the engine? Where would the tag? On the data tag. It's an aluminum tag that's riveted to the timing case cover. It runs vertical in front of the accessory drive, which turns the air compressor. Okay. All right. Now look at that. If it's a 2025, that was the best N14 ever made, and that's uh, the same Select Plus. And uh, in, in Select 1844 was the great one, and then right after that, the 2025. Okay. All right. I'll look at that. That's another. That's another. That's interesting. Uh, interesting tidbit I never knew. Um, came across the deal, and I was torn between the Detroit and the uh, N14. And going off y'all's, what y'all talk about the block, the block itself actually lasting longer than the Detroit 16, material-wise and all that. When you rebuild it, that's that's why I kind of chose that. Um, now. Besides the other truck, like the front end stuff, I need to look at. I'm trying to get a game plan because it's not it's my it's my backup right now, or it's going to be my backup. But eventually, I'm going to drive it. Right now, I'm driving my Cascadia. Um, but I was going to get y'all's opinion and see if there's anything I need to look at, or if there's anything about the N14, the, the like plus that notorious, or that I need to get checked out before I uh, make the road ready. First thing is put our damper and balancer on it. Okay. Set the overhead. 
Um, yeah, I was thinking about doing old, old simple as well, getting kind of a idea of what's going on inside. How many miles are on the oil? Um, I don't. It's, it's, there's the unknown. The gentleman I bought it from said that it has an end frame for about 300000 Um And the guy, it was kind of in between. He was going to buy the truck to do something with it, like a dump truck, but he didn't. So it's just that. So I'm going to change the oil no matter what before I drive it on the road. But I do want to... Uh, you know, that's just an idea what's going on. Yeah, if you don't know the miles on the oil itself, it's kind of difficult. I mean, if there there aren't enough miles and we pull a sample and the sample looks really clean, you might assume something's not wrong, and, and it could be. So okay. if you don't know the miles on the oil, when you pull it, you're taking a chance that there'll be no good information there at all because the oil's too new. So you can't assume if the oil looks good that it's good. It You might pull a sample and find a problem. So it, it might still be worth it to pull a sample so we could avoid a problem. But what I would tell you is if it's clean, don't assume that it's clean. It could just be that there aren't enough miles on okay. the oil. But you still may want to pull one because we, we could avoid a problem possibly. I, I'll just make a general comment about this truck, Bruce. I, I would say this might be one of the most practical trucks ever built. You know, that um, that model Freightliner was solid. The cab inside was solid. It was one of the best trucks they ever built. Uh, and that N14 is just as solid of a, a, an engine as they've ever built. This I would probably vote this the most practical truck ever built. Well, Gully Transportation loved the FLD 120 with the N14. He was buying them up, and he had two body men there, and they were doing body off the frame restorations. And when they were finished with them, they were stunning. That that is just oh, a. He still, he still runs those. He still runs those trucks. I see him on the road. Yeah, those are. That is just a, a rock solid truck right there. Um. So give me that. Uh, I was probably going to get the overhead. I know the engine's good and all that said and done. Uh, make sure there's no uh, boost leaks. I was going to get a, uh, a tune, get those tune put on it uh, from uh, yeah, a remote tuner because I live in Texas. If you can get a load and bring it to Pittsburgh, uh, it'd be nice to do the Hawkeye report on it. Yeah. Yeah, I know it'd be uh, nice too. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I mean, I'd, 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 yeah, if I could, I'd have to make me a one-time load up to Pittsburgh. Then, um, yeah. it's got a it's got a Rockwell ten-speed. Uh, I don't know much about that ten-speed. Got thirty-nine gears as well. Twenty-four-five tall rubber. Uh, it's actually I uh, got the Low Pro twenty-two point five. Low Pro twenty-two-five. Yes, sir. Oh, it's geared too slow. And it's going to be a 60, 62 mile an hour truck. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's an art. Yeah, I've already recognized that because it's an Arkansas truck. So I think later, later on down the line, it's not really necessary to get the gears right now. But I think like the 350, 355s or whatever that is, uh, whenever I address that issue. But, yeah, put 264s in it. Yeah. 
Really? Yeah, put 264s yep. in it. Yeah, then you'll run. You're going to be on highway, put 264s. You'll run mostly in ninth. You use tenth once in a while. Yeah. I, I noticed that the point, the jump between ninth and tenth is crazy. Yeah, that's the. It sure is. That's the issue with the 10 speed. That's a big final jump. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't think anything else I need to ask y'all. Uh, yeah. Um, probably, I probably called in uh, one time and you recommended uh, Redneck uh, Diesel or something over here up a Wilmer down here in Texas. Is that correct, Bruce? Yep. They're good people. What I'll do is then I'll, uh, whenever I plan to do that, then I'll drop it off with them. Okay. Go and ask for Todd. He's the owner. Hey, Todd. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to. I changed your own. I think we lost. 500 miles and send it back. Can you hear me now? Hold on one second. We can hear you, but I think Kevin's gone. Is Kevin still here? I, I'm back, Bruce. I actually hung up on myself. I had to call back in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, I hit the wrong okay. button. It must be Monday again. All right. This gentleman sent in an oil sample, so. Oh, there we go. Let me go find okay. it. Okay. Here we go. All what right. engine are we talking about? 3406E. It's 30. And if if y'all remember, about a month ago, I sent in the oil sample on 75,000 miles. And, well, you can see the oil sample has different colors. So I changed the oil and changed filters at the time. And I've got 7,500 miles on this oil. So I just wanted to redo, see what's going on. Yeah, the problem, and this kind of goes back to the last caller, if I said we don't know the miles, here we know the miles, just not enough to see anything. It's really, unless yeah. we think there's a big problem, like big fuel dilution or something, um, usually not worth it to do a sample this soon, because we just, I mean, I, I could say, yeah, it looks fine, but we don't know what's going to happen at 15, right. 20, 25,000, so what we've we've eliminated the fact that there are any big problems. I mean, everything looks fine on this. What is the iron and the silicon? Uh, silicon is two, and the iron's twenty. Good, okay. Sounds perfect to me. Okay, and what about the uh, the lead went up, as you can see from the old samples. Uh, it was going up, up, up. Now I got four. I, I suppose that's the same thing. You just don't have enough. It, it, it's, yeah. So right. So the last one when you went out to you know seventy five thousand miles or close to it, the lead was up at thirty three, and we were really concerned about it at that point. Now it's at four. Yeah. But we can't assume that there's not a problem. That's just too soon. Yeah. Okay. And another thing I saw. Should uh, 0.1 and then all the way to 0.5, and now I have a minus one. Is that, I mean, I don't know anything about the soot. I know it's the dirty yeah. engine or whatever, but yeah, just dirty exhaust. Just but. so you know, that they won't even start flagging soot till you get up over like three point something. You're, you're down at less than one. Your numbers have been, even when you took this out to. 75,000 miles, your soot was 0. 0.5. 
that's really, really low. And that, that's typical from a 3406. We expect that. That's a clean engine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you running the max mileage catalyst in that? Uh, yes, sir, I am. Yeah, I've been running that okay. for um, at, least, at least two years. Another reason why the soot is low, because there is no soot. Right. There's no soot in the yeah. engine. Right. Um, so while I've got y'all, if I put in the, um, the, um, uh, the oil, the, uh, air filter, I can't remember what it's called. The one y'all recommend. Lead air. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yes. Okay. If I put that air filter in that y'all recommend a fleet, I guess, I guess it's a fleet or air filter. Right. But if I put that in and, and nothing else changes, what do you expect that would do for my fuel mileage up or what? Two or three? What kind of truck is it? It's a 99 uh, Peterbilt. We usually see a quarter to a half. Okay. Yeah, I may do that. I always look for a quarter. Okay. If, right, if you good. do three or four, th- if you do three or four things like the manifold and the turbo and the air filters, and we figure a quarter mile of the gallon for each, so that should be three quarters of a mile of the gallon. Those three items. Okay, and that reminds me one more question. Uh, I had a, uh, I've talked with my mechanic over in Lone Star, Texas, and it's probably been maybe three years ago. They wanted him to do one of the all your tunes on this truck. And he said, I don't, he said, I don't do their tunes, but I've got a really good tune I can put on it. Well, I didn't want that. So he said, I would call, uh, Pittsburgh power. So he called me back and he did one of your tunes on it. And I didn't know enough about it at the time to ask which one or if there's different ones or, and I couldn't see a lot of difference. I could see a little bit of difference after that tune. But one thing I've heard y'all say, if you have one of your tunes on there, you can make it blow out black smoke. And ever since I've had that tune, this truck won't blow black smoke. I mean, I can put my foot in it, I can do whatever, and it, I never see a puff of anything come out of it. So does that sound we, normal? We, we, we try not to make smoke, but I'm going to let Leroy answer this one. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the in general, unless you sort of specifically say you want it to blow black smoke, we set it up so that it doesn't. Uh, generally, we just use yeah. it as sort of a waste of fuel. Uh, or if somebody has a really large turbo and they need uh, lots of lots of fuel to get the turbo to light, then we make it smoke. But generally, no, we don't make them smoke unless you kind of ask for it. But that is adjustable, so if you do want it to, uh, you can go on back and we can change that. No, I don't want it to, but I've just always been curious because I've heard Bruce or some, somebody say, several times the way I understood it was if you put your foot into it, it will blow black smoke. And I've never been able to do that. Not that I want to, I don't want to blow back smoke, but I've always been curious. Why doesn't, why can't I get it to blow back smoke when I'm putting my foot in it? So, but if it's doing that way and it's doing right, I'm happy with it. Uh, I just, it was just curiosity question. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's that'd be nice. It'd be nice to see if that is our tune. Um, yeah, he on the phone. I wondered that when too. he 
When he did that tune, was he on the phone with our engineering department? He was, and he told me who it was. And back then, I didn't, re- I, didn't I wasn't as familiar with y'all, with you okay. guys. So I don't remember who. It might have been Pete. He might have said he was on the phone with Pete. No, Pete doesn't know how to do a tune. He's like me. We're, we're mechanical <laughs> okay, guys. And then, okay, then it wasn't. Wasn't Pete, but I trust him. I mean, they've been my mechanic a long time, and they're pretty good. And he told me that he did get a hold of somebody at Pittsburgh Power, and that they would do that tune on there. Okay. Uh, um, so anyway, I suppose it's one of y'all's tunes. Okay. All uh, right. So, and uh, when? Should I go back to 25,000 miles, my next full sample? Or I would. No, I, I'd go 25. 25 is where we can tell what's okay. going on. Okay. Sounds good, then. All right. Thanks for the call. 25,000 is the most common sample mileage we do, so we're really used to looking at samples with about 25,000 miles on them. Let's go to Arkansas. John, welcome to the program. Hello. I've got a question about engine oils for my 2011 Western Star with a D13, the DD13, 13 liter engine. I've been running the Rotella T4 most of its life. Sometimes the T5, T6, but I'm running 1540 in it. And I noticed my engine manual, Detroit recommends a 1030, and I saw where T5 semi-synthetic has, there's like three or four different viscosities in T5 and three different viscosities you can purchase in Rotella T6. So... When it comes to recommend when it comes to viscosity, let's just talk in general. The lighter the viscosity, the better the engine's going to perform for fuel economy and performance. The the lighter the oil that all the parts in the engine have to move through that oil. So the thicker the oil is, the harder it is to move parts through it. The thinner it is, the better the parts move. Then you just have to make sure you have enough protection. So it was that round of change we saw in oil right around 2010 with the new engines coming out that they brought us the two new APIs. And this is the first time ever that we've had two different APIs in trucking. And we did it because we're still running a lot of old engines and the new engines are different. The new engines have been built for these really light oils. I tell people all the time, Put the lightest oil you can put in your truck, the lightest oil it's approved for, and as long as you don't have a lot of oil consumption, then stick with that. That would be the one downside. If you have a truck that burns oil, the lighter the oil is, the more it's going to burn. It's thinner. It can get past the rings easier. So I always tell people the way you decide this, put the lightest oil recommended. In this case, that would be if you want the lightest oil possible, it would be the um, 1030T6, the full synthetic. I noticed in the T6 on the Rotella site, they have like a zero. They, 30, do, they, have, they, they do make a zero. That first number is really only important um, for our cold starting temperature. 
That's all that first number means. Okay. That's the viscosity when everything is cold. So when you see that lower number first, that just tells us that the colder climate we run in, the lower number we want in the wintertime. Just easier starting. So a zero will we'll so start up at 20 below just fine. Okay, so in the T6, I could run a 540 maybe in it, or do you think? I've got a million five hundred and thirty thousand miles on my original engine without a rebuild, and nice. I'm using one core. Uh, I'm using one gallon per fifty thousand. Per fifty thousand. Got that, the T4. I I would switch to the thirty yeah. weight T6 or T5. Whichever one you can okay. find. The T5, the blend in a 30 weight is you're not going to notice much difference between T5 and T6. That's straight but, 30 weight, Kevin? No, it's, it's going to be a 1030 or a 030. Or it, it is a multi-viscosity oil. I think T5 comes in 1030 and 1040. Yeah. So I, I would get the 1030 for this engine. And not a big difference between the semi-synthetic and full synthetic. I mean, is that a 50-50 blend or that's I, kind of deceptive? They don't really tell you. I don't what think the- they ever tell us. Yeah, we, we've heard blend forever, but I don't think they ever tell us. I, for me, I would go to the T6 if I could get it. I, I like full synthetic. If I could get a full synthetic 30 weight, that's the, the best oil we have okay. available. And if your engine okay. can handle that oil... And even though this is a really high mileage engine, your oil consumption is next to nothing. Um, this is pretty incredible. You got 1.5 million out of this thing, and it's still going strong. 1,530,000 original one box. That's, oh, I forgot all about that. That's really incredible. This thing must have been burning clean its whole life. See, I, I I really think there should be more of these 13 liters around. I, I like this engine. I have a hey, question. Kevin, go, go ahead. On the T6, I'm on Shell's website. They offer the T6 in 1540, 540, and 040. Oh, they don't do a 30 weight in the T6, huh? We have the 540 here in the T6 and then the 1540 oh, well, in if that's, the mineral. The T- if that's the case, then I would go with the T530 weight. Yeah, they make a 1030 in the semi-synthetic yeah, the that's, T5. That's what I'd go with, the 30 weight T5 then. I did. I did leave the Pittsburgh Power Shop one time with Schaefer Oil. Do you guys still use Schaefer Oil? You know, we've never used Schaefer. I mean, unless someone brought it in, I, um, we have used Shell Rotella, and um, we have one called DA out of Indianapolis. That I worked That's with, what it was. I worked with two premium oils at different times, and Schaefer was one of them. We tested Schaefer for quite a while, and we worked with Royal Purple for several years. And honestly, what I came to figure out was the extra cost for those premium oils just never seems to be worth it. I mean, those are both premium oils. You pay for them. It just doesn't seem to be worth it. I mean, I, I couldn't tell enough difference in those oils to make that extra cost make any sense. I mean, the Rotella you can get everywhere. It's, it's a great oil, really is. 
I was mistaken about Schaefer. It was that private okay. label, yeah. uh, that company he was talking about. It's back when John was working there, and uh, I did the I did the engine oil, the engine clean, not the diesel force, but the earlier engine clean where they ran detergents through the engine there at Pittsburgh Power. Right. So, so you know, here's what we have machines. Here's what we, we figured out. To do that. Yeah. On the oil pumps that failed on them and they were not getting us updated oil pumps. And the guy that was promoting that had unfortunately passed away. Bruce, I have a question about your uh, mileage improver. What's the update on mileage improver? Is it still in testing? It is. Um, Jane and Britt, who are the two partners in it, are working on um, formulating their own version of it because of the shortage of some of the chemicals of the companies we were getting it from uh, not able to get it. So there was Cetane, isn't it? Cetane is no. an expensive product. I'm, that's not it. No, I forget what part of it. It was the problem and the company making it. So we're trying to come up with it and blend it ourselves, just like we do the max mileage catalyst. Okay. Are you guys familiar with Clear? Have you ever technologies that are working with Cummins and John Deere on a 100% ethanol diesel engine? And it's have you checked out tried, that company? I did. There was that one fellow out of Florida. Is that who you're talking about? No, it's a company uh, that Bill Gates gave him 17000 uh John Deere's working with them. They're out of Illinois, but they were around Omaha, Nebraska. And they currently have a Cummins engine X15 with E98 ethanol. <clears throat> and they got a lot of money from the corn industry for the ethanol. Yeah, I Clear think so. flame. It's Engine. a horrible idea. Yeah. Don't know anything about them. That's a, it's a horrible idea. We should not be mixing up our food system and our fuel system. We should not be using farmland to produce fuel. It's just a really, really bad idea all around. Probably shouldn't be eating the corn either, right? Exactly. I mean, it's it's, it's such a it's such a mess all the way around. But um, you, you just you know, why would we take something that there's so many other ways to produce energy? Why would we put that in competition with how we produce food? And we th we don't even come up with a good fuel out of this stuff. It's usually a dirty fuel. We've had problems with filters every time they do this. It doesn't have as much energy as diesel does. I just don't know why we do this. I think we should stop all all production of ethanol fuels completely. They should just go away. I can't believe we're doing more of it. it yeah, it's it, it is uh, energy fuel credits. Yeah, or it subsidizes heavily. 
Yeah. What a, I think yeah. 40% of our corn crop in the United States is for ethanol. Uh, it could be. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know what the number is, but it wouldn't surprise me. And, and it's just a really, really bad idea. I agree. Well, thank you for everything you guys do. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Arizona. Sam, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. What's on your mind today? Hey, got a question. I got a 2014 Kenworth D680 with ISX in it. And uh, last week, I had an issue with uh, water in uh, injectors. So what happened is I pulled out the water separator filter, and it was filled with some black, dirty stuff. Uh, looked like oil, but definitely wasn't oil because it was separating from the fuel. Ended up replacing the filter, made it home, uh, washed out the tanks. I was 80% sure I just got a bad fuel from some truck stop that, you know, sucked the bad stuff at the bottom of their tanks. But I did send the sample to the lab, and it came out as a 30% glyco-based product, which is antifreeze. So I got 500 miles more to go back home. I already uh, ordered the tool and the rings for the, you know, I want to try it. For the rings inside and see if that's going to help. So my question is, why it was black? And then if you can help me out, I've heard that putting the rings in only solves the issue half the time. Just wanted to see if there is anything I can do to make that, you know, the chances better than 50-50. We- what could cause it that it wouldn't work? Are we talking about the O-rings? What rings are we talking about? O-rings, yes. Oh, okay. No, uh, the rings that Cummins is selling to put on the fuel injector cups. Okay, so so they're saying that the cup itself doesn't have a hole. They're claiming it's the O-rings that are leaking. My understanding is there is no rings in there. The cup is leaking, but the cups on ISX-15 are not serviceable. So there is a Band-Aid kind of a fix for this. Is anybody fa- those rings in. Is anybody familiar like a- with this? Yeah, so we have the tool here to do it. So on, say, you had a E-model cat and you have an injector cup issue, you can actually pull it out and replace it. You buy a new injector cup for the head, over and you put it back in place, good as new. On the Cummins engines, you can't. Uh, one option, of course, is to pull the head off and have it replaced by a machine shop. Or the other option is on these ISXs, they make a tool that will um, tighten that up in the head. I'm not sure exactly. I haven't done it. I know my guys in the shop do. And it, it is a repair. Um, I would say it works more than most, you know, most of the time. But it's worth doing because the alternative is to pull the head off. And a head gasket set alone is like 1200 bucks, not counting labor and miscellaneous stuff. So, you know, for the labor to pull the injectors out and give it a try, it's definitely worth doing. Okay, so there's it's, nothing uh, in particular that I can do to, to make it better, right? Correct. Correct. If this doesn't work, then the head has to come off. Either... You know, replace. Yeah, it's definitely worth doing. I, I, we do it here, and we've had pretty good success with it. I, I would say it's more than a fifty percent success rate. Okay, do all six. 
I would, yes. Okay. Another question. Uh, should I expect to see some fuel dilution in the oil? Should I replace the oil at the same time? Because i got to replace the fuel as well. I know that and all the filters. But what about the oil? Have you sampled? I haven't sampled the oil. No. Uh, happened on the road. I just... When this happens, Pete, I'm not familiar with this issue on the ISX specifically. Is there any way we could end up with contamination in the oil? I don't. I mean, anything is possible, but I don't think so because you have so the, um, the, the problems down below. Right. You know where where the fuel coolant meet is right. where the problem is. So I wouldn't think there'd be any issues there. I don't think so either. Okay. I would sample, I and again, it's a great idea okay. to sample on a regular basis. I got 20,000 miles on the oil. It wouldn't be such a, you know, horrible thing. To no, I, oil, I, I would go ahead and that sample that. 15,000 left. Okay. Okay. And, uh, yeah, the truck's got 913,000 original miles, nothing done to it. So, you know, and I'm losing barely half a cup of antifreeze a day. So well, actually, five hundred miles to go. Actually, that's a lot because you shouldn't lose any. Half a cup a day, a lot. Well, yeah, think about it. Half a cup a day is you know almost four cups a week. That's a lot. You shouldn't lose any. Yeah. That's a sealed system. If we have to put in coolant, something's wrong. The reason I said that is I got five hundred miles to go. Do you think I'm going to make it, or I should shut it down? Because I'm replacing filters. I, I put new one in this morning and one yesterday, um, and I find maybe an ounce of that bad stuff on the bottom of the fuel separator cup. What's the real danger here, Pete? Um, I don't think there's a problem running 500 miles. Would there be? I mean, the only I don't think so. 500 miles isn't much. Right. You know, obviously, drive it as easy as possible. Keep an eye on your fluid levels. Make sure nothing crazy happens in between there. Um, you know, if you would get a lot of coolant in the fuel, that could damage the injectors. Possibly. But it's a yeah. small amount that he's getting it now, relatively small amount. That's nothing. I, I think 500 right. miles away, I would take it and make it home. Yeah. Yeah. I already ordered the tool and everything's waiting for me at home. Yeah. Yeah. I'm drive it home. You'll be fine. Okay. All right. Let me give you one update for the. Go ahead. So something I just thought about. You know, there's one of the problems is obviously there's no lubricant in antifreeze, and of course the fuel lubricates the injectors and pump. Maybe get some uh, fuel additive like Lucas that adds electricity put in there. Just a little insurance. Okay. Not terribly expensive. Not going to hurt anything. The fuel additive, the Lucas fuel additive. Oh, fuel additive. Got it. Got it. Do that. I'm using a max mileage, but I don't think that's right. In this situation, I don't think that's going to help that. It's not going to add to the person that we need. And, and you can even over-concentrate the Lucas. It's not going to hurt anything. Uh, just, to, okay. again, a little added insurance for 25 bucks or so, whatever a gallon cost. Right. I'll do that immediately. 
Let me give you a quick update. I heard you guys talking about the SCR units on the ISX. They were... Cummins was supposed to replace them. They had a recall, but there was a big issue with Cummins. They put a recall on it, but it was only up to 500,000 miles on it. Most of the guys fell over. They wouldn't do it. Uh, Cummins wanted me to replace because I had some issues, but they, they couldn't really pinpoint my issue at the time. But they wanted to replace the SCR unit anyway. So I, I didn't want to do that. I kept driving. And uh, what happened about a year later, government, I guess, stepped in and made them replace all the SCR units if they qualify. So, yeah, I just wanted to let the guys know that May of last year, we had 800,000 miles on it, Cummins ended up installing the upgraded SCR units in my truck, and that was for free. So all these guys that uh, have issues, they should check with uh, with Cummins and they might qualify for a free SCR. Got it. All right. Hey, guys. All right, thanks for the call. We're going to move along. The calls are piling up on us. We're going to head off to Alberta. Ben, welcome to the program. Good morning, guys. Uh, so 2004, Mac, uh, Bruce, uh, I did that leak test on the turbocharger. Uh-huh. And um, uh, like Brian was saying, um, plug the intake pipe. Uh, that comes to the EGR. It's kind of tricky on that truck because it's got the EGR. So before I tried plugging that intake pipe going to the EGR, I had a pretty good leak on the EGR valve. Not sure if that is acceptable or not. Ben, hold on one second. Um, Kevin, this is the fellow who has the Mac. I sent you the pictures of the exhaust system and the turbo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. So, okay. So I'm not sure if that leak is accept acceptable on the uh, what do you call it uh, the EGR valve. It's leaking out pretty good. Uh, will I lose boost if there's a leak on that EGR? Pete, can you help me with this one? So. I mean, the EGR valve should just be exhaust. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's but I guess why I did the test. go backwards, so closed, then you could have boost coming out of it. So I guess it depends on where the leak is. What engine is this? Mac. Mac, yeah. I'm not sure it's set up. It's leaking, yeah. I think that'd be a problem. If, if you're pressurizing the intake system with air and, and a leak is showing, then, yeah, it's going to leak when you're making boost, I would think as well. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Cause it's leaking fairly. It's like, I can't even get 10 pounds in it when I hold the trigger, uh, airing it up. Uh, I can't even get 10 pounds in it in 20 seconds, like hardly six, seven pounds. It's leaking. So, like you could really hear it at the valve, you know, the valve is right on top of the manifold. So maybe I should replace that EGR valve. You can't really rebuild those valves. I talked to my dealer. He said uh, you can only get the whole valve and bolt it right to the manifold. Yeah, I'm sure they're not rebuildable. 
to Pete, his compressor wheel starting to touch the compressor housing. We do have the rebuild kit available, but how many weeks is, and this is a VG turbo, how many weeks back is Pat in the pump and turbo room? He still so take three and a half? Say, uh, probably four. He has 15 notes for pumping injectors alone. Okay. So, Ben, if you want to get this truck back on the road sooner, you might as well buy a, um, a, a factory rebuild exchange turbo, factory remand turbo. You can't even get them. There's quite a bit of weight on them, too. So, you can't I'm get better off with them. I'm probably, oh. well, you can, but the, the dealer said he has to call Mac and Volvo and find out what the wait time is because there's none in the warehouse. Oh. And uh, so I might as well just wait. Can I run the turbo this way and and kind of wait to, for your yeah, call? I, I would take some heavy grit sandpaper and clean that area and uh, take a couple thousandths off of that so that compressor wheel is not touching that. Okay. Yeah, I'd and for somebody... Tail, I'd probably take a rat tail file and relieve a little bit of that aluminum right where you see it's touching the housing. Okay. Okay, and then uh, for some reason the Mac dealer tells me this turbo is not even the right turbo for this engine. He gave me a different turbo, uh, three thousand dollar difference on these two turbos. Is there anything to ask the dealer what the difference is between the two? Yeah. We're not Mac guys, so I don't know what to tell you on that one. Um, and someone might have turned that turbo on because that was the only thing available too at the point. You know, it, it might bolt on, doesn't make it right, but if they couldn't get a turbo, that's maybe why the wrong one's on there. No, that turbo has been on there, Pete, ever since we've had this truck. Like it come that way. Okay. Did you buy the truck new? Uh, no, it was used. So, yeah, it's hard to say, I guess, if it has been changed. But, I mean, who would change a turbo in 100, what did it have, 110,000 kilometers? Yeah. Hard to say. Well, if you don't know nothing, then that's okay. But I had another question for Leroy on engine brakes. Um, it, it's... It's only running on half cycle when you when you switch the switch to full cycle. It doesn't half cycle at half cycle stage uh, on the switch. And in the in the um, maintenance book, it's telling you when you turn on the key with the engine not running, it's supposed to have 12 volts at the solenoid, and it only has six volts. So I'm wondering if there's an issue with the switch or or the the controller module. So, I mean, I don't know that maintenance manual, or, but if that's what the test is saying is you turn the key on and you should be able to see 12 volts at the solenoid and you're only seeing six, um, then that's going to be from the ECM to the solenoid itself. So it's either the ECM the wire, or the wiring or the connection on the solenoid, but I'm assuming that the connection's fine, being it's under valve cover, doesn't have any sort of 
uh, corrosion buildup or anything like that. So if it's saying it's supposed to have six, um, you might have an issue there. What you could do is take the uh, connection off the solenoid and measure the uh, resistance across it. It should have a spec in the manual. Uh, if it's a 12-volt solenoid, it's usually like 7 to 15 ohms. It's what you should see across the solenoid. And see if you see 12 volts when it's unplugged. Um, sometimes if it's a weak ECM uh, and you supply, and it has to drive more current than what it's capable of, the voltage will drop. Uh, so that would be my next test. But uh, yeah, if that's what your maintenance manual is saying the test is, then yeah, you may have an issue with either the wiring or the ECM. All right. Okay. Okay, maybe I'll uh, check that test again. But the, the way it acted up was it would, uh, all of a sudden one day, with the switch on full, it would go back to half and back to full, back to half, back. To, that's the way it did it for two days, and then all of a sudden it quit. Now, it, now it's back to I mean, half with the switch only on full cycle. I, I don't know what kind of equipment you have, but... Um, what you would need to do is you need to hook to the ECM with some sort of diagnostic software and see if the ECM is seeing the different switch positions. Uh, like you say, is it seeing low? Is it seeing medium? Or is it seeing high? Or is this just low and high, I'm assuming? Yeah. Is what it sounds like you're saying, half cycle or full cycle. So I would see yeah. if the input is working. If it's seeing the input, then you have something on the output side, which means... Uh, if it's an input issue, it's either the switch, the wiring to the ECM, or it could be the ECM itself. Um, or if it's seeing the switch in the diagnostic software, then you have an output problem, which we already talked about, which is ECM wiring or solenoid itself. Right. Okay, well, that helps me. Okay, Bruce, yeah, I should do some more. What's I was going to say, you should be able to get a, I don't know, do you, do you have... A diagnostic laptop or anything like that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what my next step would be. Hook up to the ECM and see if it recognizes if the it switch as the uh, switch inside the cab. Yeah. Correct. Okay. I will do that. And then on that turbo, I'll just keep running it, Bruce, until I hear back from you. On the rebuild uh, kit, and uh, oh, we can get the kit. We have the kit available. Uh, so if you want to send the turbo in, it's going to be a month before we can get to it. Okay. And what would be the cost? Would you the ballpark figure? Yeah, you're probably going to be less than a thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll. Uh, we put it together and then try out because I found another leak uh, when I did the boost test. That there was a hose that's leaking. Okay, good. The hose the valve. So that's really have gonna. You buy, have you got some elbows, forty fives and nineties, uh, long radius and short radius to build that exhaust system? I haven't got them yet because I haven't got that far yet. Once I bolt the turbo back on there. I will uh, go to the muffler shop and uh, get them and then put... Uh, I'm still waiting on your muffler and your filter, so... Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay, guys, appreciate it. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. 
Let's go to South Dakota. John, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. I've got a uh, 2WS CAT engine. It's a brand-new crate engine that got dropped into a glider kit. And so I always took my oil samples about every other oil change, and the thing was just flatline. I mean, everything, nothing ever changed. All the numbers all was good. And so I got lazy, didn't take any oil samples for about six months, and I changed oil a few weeks ago. I thought, oh, I better take an oil sample. I haven't done one in a while. Then all of a sudden, the copper come back up to 21 on it, and it always had been two or three on all the other oil samples, and then all of a sudden it come back to 21. I do use a catalyst in it, and I know I've heard you say that it will make the metals come up a little no, bit. No, not, not all the metals. What would you think? Not, uh, that's iron specific. Not all the metals, but no, copper. That's, uh, iron specifically. No, okay, so well. here's the problem we have because you skipped six months. What's, what's the lead reading on the sample that you do have? It is lead. Well, it shows um, 2020. Ooh. It's, how many miles are on this? Uh, it's got 190,000 on it right now. Ooh. Oh, no, the iron was 20. I was on the wrong level. I was on the wrong one. The iron was uh, 20. Yeah, what, what's lead? Cro- chromium 1. Jeez, I don't know. Let's see. Lead, lead, lead. Should be lead, right lead. next to copper. Let's see. Copper, iron, calcium. Oh, lead right there. Zero. And it has been zero all the way across on all the other samples. Okay. So we may just be getting some copper from an oil cooler then. Usually it shoots way higher than that if it's an oil uh, cooler, but it may just be the very beginning of it. I can't imagine that in that six months you went through all of the lead and we missed it completely. The only way you can get to copper on a bearing is what we're concerned about. You have to get through all the lead before you get to copper. Um, So copper, correct? Yeah, somebody mentioned a wrist pin. Wrist pin. Yeah, one guy at a cat shop. He told me, he goes, "Oh, he goes, you might have a wrist pin uh, loose or bad or something." I thought, well, that's odd. I never heard of such a thing. I haven't either. It wouldn't be the wrist pin. It runs like a top. No. Be the pushing and the wrist. Oh, okay. Pin. Generally, you would have to knock oh. with that. The wrist hey. pins are steel. Uh, either I like the wrist pin, the wrist pin, wrist pin bushing, Pete. That's what I said. Oh, the, the wrist push. pin bushing. Oh. Hey, hey. Yeah, the, the wrist pin doesn't go bad. Steel, um, you know, occasionally they crack, but that's extremely rare that we see that issue. And I can tell you that in yeah. all these years of looking at oil samples, I've never seen that be the issue with copper ever. There's only two places we ever get copper from, and that's the oil cooler. And when it comes from the oil cooler, you can ignore it because it doesn't mean anything. It's not bad. You just ignore that. That typically, though, spikes to numbers like three or four hundred sometimes. The other place is a bearing, and you have to see lead first. And I don't think that's what's going on here. I think we're getting a little bit of copper from the oil cooler. But this is why it's a good idea to sample on a regular basis and always sample. I know. I got lazy. Yeah, I know. So (laughs) I got lazy on that one, and it's like, shoot. Yeah, we're we're guessing. Um, The the way to know, though, is the next sample, if that uh, copper number shoots way up then it's going to be an oil cooler if it and 
the other thing higher, I, if it stays the same, um, if it goes higher, the oil cooler, okay. like I said, we can see hun- numbers in the hundreds from an oil cooler. I can't okay. imagine that we've lost all the lead off this bearing. Is oil pressure fine? Oh, heck yeah. It runs yeah, like a top. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure this and is I, just from the And cooler. I give a double thumbs up to that catalyst. You can't get this truck to smoke to save your soul. This thing just the smoothest riding and cleanest running. I, I definitely give a double thumbs up on that catalyst. That's that stuff's good. good to me anyway. Good. Yeah. I, pretty amazing right. Yeah. Get. Get back to sampling is, on a on a regular basis, and then we'll see what's going on here. I see what goes. Well, I appreciate it. Hey. Thanks, guys. You're hey, welcome. have you tried the catalyst in gasoline? Oh, we already cut it off. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna move on. We're gonna head off to Tennessee. Phil, welcome to the program. Well, good morning, Kevin. Hi, Bruce and Pete and everybody. Hey, I'm having a problem here. Uh, Dealership is useless. Um, I changed my transmission. I changed my rear gear ratio. And my speedometer, I have adjusted through the ECM, made those changes. It's it's right on. But my odometer is off by about 40%. And the dealer can't figure it out. Well, that seems odd. Yeah, it does. Um, I downloaded a GPS uh, speedometer for my phone, and I've compared the the odometer parts, and I put 86 miles on the truck odometer, and the GPS one was 46. Holy cow. I mean, it's way off. That, that's not even And close. nobody can figure it out. No, um, I, and I, I thought I thought the speedometer and odometer would run hand in hand. Did did somehow your speedometer get changed to kilometers? Ooh, good thinking. Bruce. Didn't think of that. Somebody should do the math because we could figure that would out that pretty be quick. Forty percent difference. Ah, uh, that seems too big. I don't think there's that much of a difference. Yeah. Well, 100 kilometers is what? 40%. 100 kilometers is 60 miles an hour, isn't it? Right. Well, that is about, that is 40% then. Huh. Maybe so. Yeah. I knew I just had to call the right people. Uh, Would that be the kind of truck is it? What kind of truck is it? Well, I'm your remote tuner down here in Nashville. I've got that 97 International cab over I bought, and we put a uh, M11 crate engine, took the Super 10 out, put a 13 in, took out the 270s, and we put, or 370s, we put 264s in it. I wonder... If that truck's old enough to have the switch on the back of the speedometer, all you have to do is click the switch. It has 10 switches behind the speedometer. Oh, okay. But the speedometer would not work unless we put all the switches up. So the speedometer works perfect. It lines up perfectly with the uh, GPS. 
Any thoughts, oh, Leroy? So it's a mechanical speedometer, right? Um, like it has, it has a cable going to the back of it. You said it has 10 no, switches on the no. back. No, it doesn't. It's got dip switches, but they're all but turned off. Front. Right. Okay. So that's kind of surprising that they're all off and it's actually... Have you checked all the speeds or just like it matches your GPS speedometer like all the way up to yeah, 65? Yeah, it matches all the way up. Yeah, I run about 60 and I ran it up okay. to and like 75 one time. Yeah, how, would the, the speed, how could the speedometer be in miles and the odometer part be in kilometers? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So the odometer part of it is also mechanical, right? Like you can watch like it turn over. It's not like a Correct. little digital dash or a screen. No, yeah, it's got yeah. little wheels. Yeah, so, I mean, as long as you got your disk switches programmed correctly and it matches the same speed, because uh, that has nothing to do with the ECM. That's just, you know, it gets the signal from the vehicle speed sensor and the speedometer processes right there. That dip switches, all those 10 are supposed to set, uh, you know, that that's what actually gives you the correct reading. So as long as that's calibrated correctly, the mechanical odometer inside is, is, is geared that way. So if it's not reading right, then you just got to go back. The dip switches are all in the same position. Yeah, There's which is no kind of weird. Well, it wouldn't work. Yeah, that, that. I just... And I just had both of the TAC and the speedometer. I sent them out to Arkansas. I just had them rebuilt. I just put them back in the truck. Yeah. I mean, they're, it's hard to get them to, to work correctly. Um, I don't know, but the, it's all mechanical inside. So once your dip switches are set, then it should work uh, the same as your speed. So if you got something wrong, then it's probably just the speedometer itself. Did you wear with I do it? Did you call the people that rebuilt them for you? Uh, yeah, they're, uh, they said they couldn't really calibrate it because with the, sw the switches on the back because they don't have all the information for the truck. They don't know, you know, every truck is going to be different. Yeah, and they're, they're hard to calibrate. Like when we have to do one on the dyno, it's usually one person has to drive and one I usually sit in the passenger seat with a little screwdriver and, you know, you make a you make a change, and you have to unplug it and plug it back in, and then see where that's at. There's there's formulas. It depends on which gauge you have. There's formulas that you can use. Punch in the numbers of your tire size, your you know how many teeth you have, et cetera, et cetera, and it's supposed to give you the right orientation. But it feels like nine times out of ten that never really works out. Um, but right. that's how I've always calibrated them, and I've done a whole bunch, and I've never had them with just all those it switches off. So that's why I'm just like, well, that's kind of weird, uh, well, especially um, that it reads correct. I'm wondering if the ECM controls the speed and then the dip switches are being calibrated to the actual speedometer. You know, what, no, what, so where typically, do you think coming from? The, the way that's usually wired is it, it, either has, it either has one sensor and it sends the signal to the ECM and it also splits off and it goes to the speedometer or sometimes they have two speed sensors. One goes to the ECM, one goes to the speedometer. 
but in your case, if you have dip switches on the back, that has nothing to do with the ECM. The uh, that's just the sensor, your wire, and the speedometer. That's all that it is. Okay. I mean, the the sensor is just a little inductive thing that sees teeth goes by and just make a little voltage. And as long as your wiring, which sounds like it's working, goes up there, then it's all just in the speedometer. It just has to be programmed, right? I say programmed as in you have to configure the switches correctly. And the rest is just right. all inside that speedometer. So if it's acting funny, it's just that. It can't be anything else. Oh, well, they don't make these gauges anymore, so I... I've already had to rebuild. Yeah, um, the screw. yeah, and the, the aftermarket <laughs> ones—they're they, terrible too. So, good luck finding an aftermarket one. Every uh, the last aftermarket one I had was when we had that uh, N14 conversion. We put one, we put an aftermarket one in the dash because uh, it had a cable, and we went over to a, you know, a new electronic style. I guess I could say electronic just has a sensor, and it was right. it was such a pain to get right. I tried to use their formula that came with their instructions and it still wasn't right. So, okay. I, I actually, the only well, thing I is lucky. So I guess we're back to the drawing board. The speed is right. Just my field taxes and everything else are going to be wrong. So wait, yeah. how does the, how does that M11 run with the two sixty fours and the 13 speed? Good. Surprisingly. Um, and I had JR tune it up over the weekend. Let me uh -huh. tell you, for, for an M11, that thing's a beast. <laughs> it, it shocked me. I picked up 10 pounds of turbo boost. Wow. Uh, so we're at, we're at 32 pounds now. You went from 22 um, to 32. Yeah. And it doesn't hesitate. It, you set the cruise at 60 or 65 and it, pulls most of the hills around Tennessee, it might drop a mile an hour. You know, on, on the normal hills, not the big crazy ones. Mm -hmm. But very impressed. Um, my ISX could never keep up with this truck. Not a hill. No way. Nope. This thing blew me yeah, out. I actually want Yeah. Yeah, they've both been tuned. What gears but, are in the um, ISX? Uh, I've got the 250s in the uh, in that truck there. The 250s in the ISX. Yeah. Hmm. I am blown away. Wow. Well, Kevin, that I'm very happy with you guys with these M11s. Um, I know Kevin doesn't like the M11s, but let me tell you. You get these things tuned up, and they're a whole different animal. Talk, talk, talk to me about right. fuel economy. Uh, well, when we can get the odometer figured out, <laughs> I'll get yeah, back to they, you. They, they sucked. Now, I mean, we, we could never get one of these things anywhere near seven and a half. They always seem to be stuck around six I've and had, a half. There wasn't much you could do with it. The other problem with them, when I looked at them, they were being rebuilt yeah. around six to 700,000 miles. This is my third flat floor cab over, my third M11. My other two I hauled steel with, and I was getting eight miles a gallon with, it, with those two well, trucks. You're, you're the exception. Setting set the cruise hey, on Kevin, 60. 
And I yeah, but those ones you were working with didn't have 264s in them, and they didn't have our tune in it. No, that's true. That, oh, I but, had three. But the other, I like, had, I, like I, I said, Bruce, it was the other two. It was really common to see these have an in frame at six or seven hundred thousand. They just didn't hold up well. Huh. Well, we'll see. And again, everything it's you've said the, is what? is the exception to the rule. The, it, you said it out pulled your ISX. Never seen one that performed anywhere near that. Eight miles to the gallon. Never even I came want, close. More than eight or nine hundred thousand well, miles before an in frame. So what you're saying is the exception. If they work for you, keep using them. But they they never caught on, and I Bruce, think there was a reason. Bruce. 32 pounds of boost. What kind of horsepower is that motor putting out? <laughs> you know? I don't have the formula for the uh, M11. I would uh, I go off the same as a 12.7. Let me do a calculation here. 533. Well, I, I want to get my two trucks on the same same run here and run them together. I want to hit some hills with it just to see. Okay. Yeah, see what it does. Interesting. Keep hey, it in the hey, Bruce, we were talking about truck prices earlier. Um, see what you think about this. Speaking of cab overs, and this is not a flat floor cab mm -hmm. over, by the way. This is a 1998 International 9800. It's got a 12.7 with a 10 speed. Uh, in framed about five months ago, it says. Um, it's clean, but it's an international cab over. They want $62,000 for this truck. That's insane. <laughs> You know, the first thing I noticed about it from the pictures, which was odd when I was zoomed out, you know, so I couldn't see detail, that both stacks are behind the cab, but they're both on the right side of the cab. I'm like, who the hell did that? Why would you do that? Then when I zoomed in on the picture, it's actually the intake is over on the back of the cab at the right side, but they put an exhaust stack on it. It's got a chrome exhaust stack on the intake, and it's right next to the exhaust. But they've got the turnout turned back and to the right. So it's kind of blowing backwards slightly to the right to the passenger side. When I look at that, it almost looks like the air going by that would suck the air back out instead of helping it go in. It's an EGR system, Kevin. It's an EGR system, an early one. If you, yeah, yeah. oh, I, you, you, you know, Pete, I just thought test. about that. It's probably sucking the exhaust. Now I get what you're saying. You're right. It's probably sucking the exhaust right in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Years, years ago on cab overs, they'd take the scoop in the wintertime and turn it backwards because of snow. So I went to the local auto parts store and I bought a two inch. 90 degree elbow piece of exhaust pipe. And on the way back to the shop, 
I held it out the window at about 60 and 70 miles an hour. And when you had that piece of exhaust pipe facing forward, you had a lot of air coming in. When you turned it sideways, so it was 90 degrees, when the air was going straight past it, it was dead. No air going in, wasn't sucking out. When you turned it backwards, it was actually sucking it, up through it. Yeah, I think that's what's happening on this intake I can remember I was at the Freightliner dealer down in Portland when I first moved here, and they had a a chrome extension for your stack, and instead of having a turnout, there was no turnout to it at all. It was a straight piece of pipe, but at the top, they took and cut a, a, a slice right down the middle and took the back half off of the circle like maybe four or five inches of it. So you had the front half of the circle, but the back half was gone. They cut it out. And I'm standing there looking at it going, what's the point? And then I realized, now this is an exhaust pipe. I actually looked at that and said, they're sucking the exhaust out. They're reducing back pressure with this. And it might not be much, but it certainly can't hurt. And because of that shape, it was creating a vacuum right there at the top and would actually suck the exhaust out. I think that's what's happening on this intake. Yep. I agree. Yeah. but You can't have the intake air facing backwards or sideways. For, for 62000 I wonder if they'll turn that pipe forward for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sixty-two thousand dollars. Well, I just I can't get over that. It's just insane. Now, Kevin, I I was working a boat show. I was working a boat show last week for two days, and a dinghy, little fiberglass hull, like a zodiac. Yeah. Sixteen foot, sixteen foot, seventy-five horsepower outboard, fifty-one thousand dollars. What? Oh, <laughs> no way. 51,000. Oh. Yeah. If you buy the Williams, it's a jet. It's a jet drive. And I think in a 14-footer, it's 57,000. And that's for the stripped-on model, by the way. That's just crazy. Oh, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, uh, yeah. let's take another call. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. I was going to do a metric conversion for you. All right. 86 kilometers is 53.75 mile an hour. It was close, but not quite. Yeah, that, uh, I don't know. That's an interesting issue. I, that, I have to say in all the years I've yeah. been taking calls, it's the first time I've ever had that come up. And you're just talking about the... The breathers and that, uh, air intake and everything. Yeah. Most of the Australian trucks, particularly the conventionals, if they got the external breathers, they always put snorkels on them to get them up because they run on a lot of dirt roads. Oh, yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the intake... Is act, a lot of the time it's actually up, it's level with the top of the windshield. And even some of the cab overs, they do, 
I have seen it where they run the it does put a lot of extra bends in it. I don't know whether that matters or not, but they actually run it out to the front of the cab and then it sticks up again on the front of the right above the windshield. So, well, yeah, they look kind of goofy though. Bruce, remember when we were building slick, um, David counts went up there and spent a couple days up there and they, we did all kinds of crazy testing on trying to get more air in. It's way trickier than what you think. I mean, it seems so easy. It seems like just stick something up front and all that air should just shoot right in there. It doesn't, though. It's not that easy. Yeah. You know, the... the will you be out in Saxonburg next week, Bruce? I will. Okay, I'll see you there. I'm coming up there next week. Okay. So, Wednesday, like Thursday, and Friday. Right. It's... That's all we You'll need. All be there Tuesday. All right. We're going to head off to Massachusetts. Travis, welcome to the program. Yeah. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. What's um, on your mind today? Yeah. I, I was calling in regards to the Mac caller who called earlier. Um, we run triaxle uh, granite Mac up in Massachusetts. Um, should be about the same as the truck he has. And, as far as the Jake brake switch goes, I think for like 40 or 50 bucks, you can just go to the parts at his Mac dealer, grab that switch. Cause I've, I've done two of them, but trucks, they act real funny when that switch goes bad. So I was just calling them. You, can get, you can get the, you can get the toggle switch at Mac. Yeah. Yeah. The fellow you're helping out with the Mac with the weird exhaust yeah. and all that. That was a Mac, wasn't it? Yeah, that's. Uh, I I thought he said. I thought originally it was an 06, but I thought on the show today he said an 04. Yeah, we got 04. We have an 04 and 06 uh, or 16 rather. We have old and new ones. So uh, it should be it should be the same. I've done it on the older one and the newer ones. And like I say, it's like 40 or 50 bucks. I mean, the last time it went on my truck. I almost thought I was going to be down for a week the way it was acting. And then luckily I thought, think simple, try the switch. And that, that was what did it. <laughs> so worth a shot for 40 or 50 bucks anyway. And I'll send him a, I'll send him an email right now. But he's yeah. probably listening. He's probably listening. Yeah. Yeah. They usually have them. Uh, these trucks go through switch, various switches for some reason. seems like once a year we're doing one of those switches, but, uh, and if he's not running the catalyst, he should, because that helps out the EGR on our EGR trucks. Um, I think about once uh, once a year or once every other year, the granites were going in, and the EGR cooler had to be cleaned. They had to check the EGR valve. And luckily, I, I've been running the catalyst for a couple of years now at least. And I, I bypassed all that maintenance because it runs so much cleaner. Yeah. Not running, he ain't running that. Pressure him into it. <laughs> We're finding that uh, if people buy a, a new truck and run the catalyst full time from day one at a half a million, all they have to do is have the ash washed out of the DPF and they're, they're ready to yeah. go again. Yeah, my truck, I started running it. It had 80000 on it when I bought it, and uh, it's got three, 340 on it now. 
and I all they did. I brought it in a couple months ago to check uh, the filter and all that and clean the ash out. And they said it. They were kind of amazed because I hadn't been in yet with the mileage I got on the truck. There so, you go. I tried explaining that to them, but they don't listen. <laughs> Catalyst. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Whatever. All right. Thanks <laughs> but, for the call. Yeah. Hey, um, you know, I, I got to go back and find this again. I, uh, you know, the Bruce, you know, the jump start modules you can get now, they little handheld, you know, for your car, yeah. plug them in, they jump start mm -hmm. your car right off the bat. And I, I said that when I switched to the um, Maxwell start module, that you could actually use one of those to start a truck, just one that would normally start a car because it just jumping that start module was really easy. Um, I'm looking now, they actually make one of these handheld. It looks like it's about the size of a, like if you were to buy a home socket set, you know, it's a, a it would be about the same size as the case. So significantly bigger mm -hmm. than these little handhelds, but you carry this thing around in your hand. It's got 10,000 amps of starting power. Wow. That's a lot. Amazing. Yeah, it claims it will start yeah, any 16-liter gas or diesel engine, up to 16 liters. You can carry this thing around in your hand. Wow. Yeah. These, Can uh, you email me the information to it? I'd like to look at it. I might have to have one. Yeah, it's, uh, it's made by a company called Goodall. The other nice thing about these, because they're really just big batteries, you know, with the electronics on them, so this thing would also charge computers, laptops, phones. Uh, you can plug 12-volt devices into it, portable pumps and lights. Um, this thing would be great. I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't have one of these in the truck. Um, this it looks like they're about 700 bucks. So not cheap, but boy, if I, had a, I, I would carry one of these in a heartbeat. Yeah, I'll send you... Send you the info. Uh, let's see. I think we are all done with calls today. Anybody have anything they want to wrap up with? I don't know. Nope. nope. All right. I do not. Looks like we are done. Uh, tomorrow, Destination Health. Uh, we have a special guest uh, from Azure Standard coming back. So we will do that tomorrow. We'll see you then. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.